ahead and have a seat. It's good for us to sing of God's character, his sovereignty, his power. He is over all. The things of this world are not greater than our God. It's good to be with you again, church. A little bit more of a somber tone this morning, perhaps. Uh, my name is Nick Lees, and I serve as a senior pastor here. If you're with us for the first time, we're glad to have you with us. For those of you who are watching online, we're glad to have you with us as well. Man, it's June. 2020 is half over, and what a year it's been, right? It's been one for the history books for sure. And frankly, it's not over yet, right? It's not necessarily going to get easier. The reality of living in a broken, sin-cursed world is that we know that we will continue to endure hardship and trials. That much is promised to us. And as we study the scriptures, we, we know that much harder things are to come. And so we need to be doing our part to preparing to grow in holiness and to prepare for the things that are coming. One of the primary ways that we prepare for the future is by learning from what God is teaching us in the present and what he's taught us and others who have gone before us in the past. If you don't learn from what God is teaching you now, if you don't learn from what God has taught you in the past or what he's taught others in the past, it's going to be a rough road ahead. It's going to be full of trials. And so today, uh, what I'd like to do is discuss with us some of the lessons that I believe God is seeking to teach us in this season, during this pandemic, and in light of the unrest that's going on in our country because of the murder of George Floyd. These aren't new lessons, but perhaps they're especially poignant during this season of life and during this time in our church. And so today is going to be a little different than our normal Sunday sermons. If you've been with us through the year, you know we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been studying that verse by verse through the year. Um, and last week, we finished up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're actually going to pause there and take a break from the Gospel of Matthew. And next week, we'll be kicking off a new series for the summer in the book of Micah in the Old Testament. It's a series called Faithful God, Unfaithful People. And I'm excited to dig into that. I'm excited to see how the Old Testament helped prepare the people for Jesus' coming. And I think it'll have valuable lessons for us as well. Typically, uh, for our church, verse-by-verse studies are how we do things on a Sunday morning. We want to go verse-by-verse uh, through a, a book of the Bible in order to understand what God's Word says and teaches. We want to unpack the richness of it and the, the depth of it. We don't want to miss anything, and so we go verse-by-verse. Verse. But occasionally... There are themes or ideas within the Word of God that we want to study at a larger level. And so we might take a break and, and do something like that from time to time. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Today we're going to be talking about the idea of compelling community. Now, compelling community is one of the six key pillars of our church. This is uh, one of the six key pillars that we allow to form how we as a church accomplish our mission. And so these are meant to be kind of the framework or the grid through how Harvest Bible Chapel seeks to get the Great Commission done. They're to be the ways that we evaluate our ministry programming, our events, the, the way that we function as a body of believers. And so over the course of this year, we've, we've hit on a few of these. We've already studied purposeful discipleship. We took a week to look at passionate worship and uh, fervent prayer together, and today we're going to be covering compelling community. And each of those pillars, as you can see, has a verse associated with it. And the verse for this pillar is John 13, 35. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there to John chapter 13. 
And I'm just going to read this verse for us. And coincidentally, uh, this is our memory verse for the month of June as a church. So throughout the year, we've been having church-wide memory verses each month, something we've said we want to grow in as a church. And so John 13, 35 is June's memory verse. So here you go. You're getting a a one-day head start on this. Here's what it says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We'll read that again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is the one speaking that verse. He's speaking it to his disciples as they're gathered around uh, for the Lord's Supper. This is the night where he's going to be betrayed. And this has happened after some significant events that very evening. At this point in the evening, Jesus, or Judas rather, has already left. He's already gone to the religious leaders to seek to betray Jesus. And now what Jesus is doing is he's explaining to the rest of the disciples what's going to happen. He's helping them prepare for what's ahead, the trials that are coming. And the overarching command that he gives them is actually found in the verse prior to verse 35. So if you've got your Bible still open, look back at verse 34. Here's what Jesus says. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That is Jesus' expectation for his disciples. That's his command for them. God's kingdom people are to be known by our love for one another, by the way that we treat and speak to one another. This is a love that's modeled from the Savior's love for us. And consider what the Savior is about to model of his love for his people. Right? When he says this, he knows that the cross is awaiting him. That he's about to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of his people's sins. That, as DJ mentioned earlier, he's about to take on the full wrath of God for their sins. That's the love that he's about to model for them. And consider uh, how he has already modeled love for them even that night. This passage that we just read in 34 and 35 comes after Jesus already humbled himself and took the place of the lowliest servant in the room at the start of the meal. You may know what I'm talking about, the foot washing. Right before the meal began, Jesus gets up from the table, he takes off his outer garments, wraps a towel around his waist, and asks his disciples to come to him, and he begins to wash their dirty, stinky feet. That was the job of the person who had the least authority in the room of the lowliest servant. And yet the one who had all authority was the one who took that job. He's the one who humbled himself as a model for the rest to follow. And so again, if you've got your Bibles open to John 13, go back to verses 12 through 17. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples after he has completed this task. It says in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Again, there is the example of Jesus Christ. There is the the model of love. Those who follow him must humble themselves to serve and love others. This is the way he has spoken. Some of you get that reference, but the rest of you, maybe you're not Star Wars fans like I am, but that comes from the Mandalorian. And the reason we're studying uh, compelling community today is because it flows right out of what we've been talking about in the Gospel of Matthew. That we are to be a people who are set apart, a people who are known for following God's will and ways, a people who uh, show the watching world that there's something radically different about Christ and his followers. As we heard even last week in Matthew 7, our response to the kingdom of God is that there's a radical transformation in our lives. God does a mighty work in you. That comes through faith and obedience to King Jesus. And that transformation is not just an individualistic thing. This is a community project. It's lived out in the community of the the faithful, those who are following Jesus Christ. As we heard throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the expectation is that you would be in community with others. You cannot have compelling community by yourself. And the topic of compelling community is also incredibly relevant to our church right now in our current cultural context. We are a church recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. For nine plus weeks now, we have been out of our normal community rhythms We haven't been able to gather. We haven't been able to worship together. We haven't been able to spur one another on to love and good deeds like we normally would. And that's been hard. During that time, a lot has happened in each one of your lives, in in my life, in our families. And every one of us is responding in some way to what has happened. This has affected you emotionally, spiritually, physically. There's a lot going on here. And now on top of that, We're processing the heinous sin against George Floyd and how it's affecting our nation. I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one who's been on an emotional roller coaster over these last couple of months. And I know I'm not because I've talked with some of you. These these have been some hard months. A lot going on here. Human beings are not made for isolation. We are made for relationship. And being apart from one another for this long has its consequences on us. And I have heard from many of you who have struggled with this. And we've had people, you know, who have different perspectives on many things. How to handle reopening. How to handle responding to government authorities. How to reintegrate into our gathering as a church. Everyone is processing this in some way. It's affecting you in in some way. And if we don't handle these differences well, this could become an opportunity for the church to be divided rather than to be the compelling community that Christ calls us to be. I certainly don't want that, and I don't believe Christ wants that. Which is why I believe this is an important historical moment for the church. The world is hurting. The church is hurting. And so how we respond in this season will have a powerful impact on those who are watching. It's an opportunity to show our world just what the compelling community of the church can be. Or, it's an opportunity to squander all of that on petty quarreling, just like the world around us. 
So church, let's choose to follow in the steps of Christ. Let's choose to follow his example by being sacrificial, by being loving, others-oriented, servant-hearted people. Let's show the world the beauty and the compelling nature of doing things God's way. So what I'm trying to say, if, you, if you've been listening this far, is God has given us many opportunities to practice what we're about to study, to grow as a church of compelling community, to be a bright light in a dark and hurting world. This pillar of our church and of our faith is exactly what we need to think about at this time. This is our response to who God is, what he's done, and what he's calling us to do. And so I hope you'll be ready to dial in. And in the time we have remaining, we're going to be talking about how to live as the people of God. How to live as the people of God. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to frame this up a little differently than the normal sermon. Uh, We're going to answer three key questions here. So there's no blanks to fill in, none of that. Um, We're going to try to answer three key questions. And you see them there on your handout. Let's talk through them real quick. The first one is, what is compelling community? We're defining the terms. What is this thing that we're talking about this morning? Then, after we've done that, we'll ask, what does it look like? That's the idea of, let's put some flesh on on the bones here. Let's try to understand, if we're going to be a compelling community, how do we do that? What does that look like? So that we can get busy and be obedient to it. And then after that, the last question is, how is it created? How do we get there? What does that look like? And so let's start by defining the terms. What is compelling community? Well, here's the definition for compelling. It means evoking interest, attention, or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. So let me say that again. To be compelling is to evoke interest, attention, or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. The word compelling is trying to convey the type of community that God calls us and has created us to be. It's a community that draws the attention of others. People see it and they wonder about it. They, they can't resist being drawn to it. There's something about that kind of community that is attractive to them. And if you've been around our church for any length of time, you've heard me frame this up uh, through some different questions. They sound something like this. You know, what is it about you people that makes you so different? How can people from so many different walks of life, so many different diverse backgrounds get together and love one another, and get along well? Or questions like, how do you have such joy in the midst of this suffering? How do you have hope in the midst of the trials and the things that we're facing in our world or in your own life? How can you be confident about your purpose in this life? But they're seeing something in the way that you live, in the way that you are in community with other believers, that they say is, attractive to them. They may not use that word, but they're asking those questions because they want to know something about it. There ought to be something noticeably different about God's gathered people, about the church. And the way that we treat one another, the way that we speak to one another, the way that we interact ought to be compelling. It ought to be attractive to those who get to see it. Unfortunately, that is often not the experience for those who come into contact with people who profess to follow Christ, God's gathered people. Rather than being in awe of the compelling community that they, that they witness, they are seeing, well, 
These people are just as bitter, just as petty, just as mean-spirited, just as severely critical as the rest of the world. And they walk away disappointed. There's too many professing Christians and too many professing churches who are a far cry from Christ's call and his example of being righteous and a servant and humble. Which is probably why God dedicates so much of the scriptures to his people about hey, here's how you grow in holiness. Here's how you become this type of community. Here's how you become more like Christ. As you look through the scriptures, that's ultimately what God is doing. He's helping his people become the people that he's called them to be, to be the compelling community that he desires. So that's the definition of compelling. But what about community? That's a pretty straightforward concept, but let me define it. Community is a group of people having a religion, race, profession, or other characteristic in common. Both of these definitions are from the Oxford English Dictionary, just so you know where I'm getting them from. It's a group of people having a religion, race, profession, or other characteristic in common. And community is an essential part of this pillar because it reminds us, this is a congregational process. We can't do this alone. God does not call those people to compelling individualism. Right? He calls us to be a compelling community, which means we have to be together. We walk this life together. When you go back to the Sermon on the Mount that we studied over the last several months, Matthew 5, I'm just going to pick that little chunk of 13 to 16. Here's what Jesus said You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Those pronouns are plural pronouns. And so if you think about it this way, if Jesus had been from the deep south, he would have said something like this, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Right? Hopefully I don't offend any southern folks who are listening. But so much of the Sermon on the Mount is written to God's people in community. It's written to people who are to be together, living these things out as a way that is compelling to those who are watching. And if you look at the majority of the New Testament, it is written to God's gathered church, right? So you have to the church in Philippi, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Thessalonica. God is writing to his people who are to be in relationship with one another. And so as you think about that, what that tells us is that the Christian walk was never meant to be done alone. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity, And our American culture of deep-seated individualism has actually undermined God's intention here. We have become incredibly individualistic when God calls us to be a people who are in community with one another, to live life together. And I want to give you a few things to consider as we think about this. It's in community that our sin can be graciously exposed and dealt with in a way that promotes holiness. It's in community that we can be vulnerable and ask for help in our time of need. It's in community that we can be intentional to invest in one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds and help each other grow. It's in community that we can develop deep relationships that go far beyond just surface-level topics, that get into, you know, walking through the deep valleys of life together and celebrating at the highest mountaintops together. And it's in community that we can sacrificially give of our time, talent, and treasure 
to build up the body for the common good and for the advancement of the gospel across the earth. That's what a compelling community looks like. And I don't know if I could make a a better argument for why we need to be in community. Community is essential for God's people. We are called to be gathered together to worship him. And that's what we need if we're going to obey God and seek him out. So as you think about that for your own life, do you value the community of believers? Right? Okay, so there we go. We've defined compelling community. Now let's discuss, well, what does it look like? What does it look like? And as we begin to unpack the answer to this question, uh, what we ought to end up with at the end is a fairly robust understanding of this idea of compelling community. There ought to be some flesh on the bones. We ought to be able to, well, I ought to be able to call on any one of you and uh, ask you to come up here and you'd be able to give a good explanation to the rest of the group today. You ready for that? We'll see. Just don't fall asleep, okay? Because I'll mean, I'll probably pick you if we do this. But there are a lot of different ways that we could tackle this process of trying to answer this question of what does it look like? We could go into the New Testament and look at one of the Pauline epistles. We could see how uh, God counsels a local church through his apostle Paul on how to grow in, in their compelling community. We could go back to the Sermon on the Mount. We could look at what Jesus taught and say, okay, well, what, is, what does he teach about being a compelling community? And there's a lot of ways to tackle this topic in the scriptures. And what I thought we would try today um, would be something a little more interactive. And so our time together is actually going to be a little different than normal, which will be interesting. I'm glad we have a a semi-full room this morning because I'm going to need a lot of you to participate. So just prepare yourselves. Um, I'm going to ask you to participate. So just key in on that. Do you guys have the one another hand out there on your sheet, on on your seat? For those of you who are online, uh, this handout is on the sermon resources uh, link. You just scroll down the page. If you click on the one another's handout, um, you might want to pull that up because you can participate from home too. What I want us to do today is we're going to walk through the one another's in scripture. We're going to remind one another of the one another's, okay? So it's not going to be just an opportunity to learn from Scripture, but also to learn from one another as a community. We're going to practice compelling community as we go. So you've got your handout there. On this handout is 59 different one another passages. Now, some of you who were here last summer may recognize this. This is a handout that we used in our prayer and fasting nights last summer. And I'm very thankful for the Bible Overview Project. Uh, They have put this together, and I've kind of modified it just so it fit on one page. Um, but what I want us to do today is we're going to work through this. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to steal DJ's mic here. Sorry, DJ. I'll put it back later. And I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to set this up right here. All right? There you go. Let's see if it's on. I don't know if it is. It does not look like it's on. There we go. All right. So it's on. Hopefully that's about a reasonable height for everyone to see or be able to speak in. Here's what we're going to do today. What I'm asking you to do, and I'm going to get us started on this, so I'll show you what we're doing, but is to be ready to be willing to read just one of these verses, right? So you see under unity, uh, there are 13 different verses here. So um, we're going to just walk through each section and, and discuss them, but I want your participation. Our church needs to hear from you, not just me. And so um, get ready for that. And what I'm going to do uh, is just warn you that it's going to be humbling. I, I believe I've had to read through these as I'm preparing for today. And it's impossible to make it through this list without realizing, oh my goodness, 
there are ways that I need to grow. There are ways that I need to change. And so if we want to see, well, what does it look like to be a compelling community like Jesus calls us to be? We're about to find out. And so let's start with the concept of unity. And if you're looking at the handout here, you'll notice at the top there's a little heading. It says, one-third of the one another commands deal with the church getting along. Right? How about that? One-third of the one another commands deal with God's people getting together and getting along without division. How appropriate. God's telling us there's something attractive about a people that can get together who come from all different walks of life, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different races, all different political ideologies, and yet are united in Christ. There's something attractive about that. And, and we're not just talking about getting together and having very surface-level relationships. Oh, yeah, I can tolerate that person for an hour every Sunday. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living life together. Again, going through the deep waters and the high mountaintops together. Being willing to care for one another. And so what I want us to do is we're going to read down through these 13 uh, unity one another's together. And so I'm going to read the first one. And what I'm planning to do, although not everyone is sitting in the aisle seat, so what I'm going to ask is on each of these aisles, for the first person closest to the aisle, that you would be willing to get up and come to the mic and read for your aisle. And so we'll start from the the front and we'll work our way to the back if you're not willing to do that if you could ask the person next to you to be ready to do that um and the reason why i'm asking you to read into the mic is for the folks who are at home who aren't able to join us today that's how they can hear and participate with us and so uh steve or Teresa, if you guys would be so kind as to go to the mic and get ready um i will start us and then one of them will read the next one and then they will sit down and the next person will get up and just we're going to read through them okay it's not hard they're all about six words so don't panic Okay, and we're just doing the unity ones. Okay, so here we go. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait, sorry. Wait for one another before beginning the Eucharist. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't challenge or envy one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Yeah, go for it, brother. Can't read it. Confine to confess sins to one another. All right. Amen. 13 different phrases there, some of which actually have a couple of references next to them of how God's people are called to be united with one another. 
And as you, as you think about this, as you read through this list, as you allow it to just challenge you, is it possible to read all 13 of those and not be humbled? And I hope that your answer would be, no, of course not. I, I need to grow in these. I need to take steps of, of pursuing Christ in these. And hopefully you would say, I understand, at least a little better at this point, how much the unity of the church is valuable to Jesus. God does not want his son's bride biting and devouring one another, as we heard in here. Instead, they are to be patient and gentle and serving one another, to be tolerant of one another, to be known for their kindness and their quickness to forgive one another. They are to actively seek one another's good. How, how different would that be if that's what the church was known for? Do you read, how much complaining should there be in the church? And the answer is none, right? None. How much confession of sin should be present? A lot, right? And so think about that. What kind of community does that create if, if our words are used not to tear one another down, not to, to vent about the things we don't like, but rather to, with humility, to share here are the ways that I'm struggling. Here are the ways that I need your help. Here are the ways that I need to grow and change and that we're calling one another to help in our time of need. You could understand how that community where people aren't wasting their words on complaining and and tearing into one another and biting and devouring one another, but rather inviting each other into their lives and asking for help in the midst of their trials and in their shortcomings would become a compelling community. That'd be a great place to be where we're growing alongside of one another for each other's good and the mutual growth of the body. And so what I think we ought to do now is go before the Lord and ask him to help us in this, to confess where we fall short and to pray for his patience and mercy with us. And so prayer is also going to be a significant part of our service today. So would you please bow your heads as I lead us in a time of corporate prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning. And uh, we, we thank you, first and foremost, for the example of Jesus Christ. As we consider these one another commands about unity, we are just so in awe of what Jesus has done. So in awe of his example of, of coming down, entering into his creation, and going to the cross to die for his bride. To take on the sins of his bride so that his bride could be washed clean so that his bride could be freed from the petty differences and and sin tendencies that it has. So thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for the high price that you've paid for each one of our redemption. And we just come before you right now, and we want to confess, Lord, that we struggle to obey, that we struggle to value the church's unity like you value it, that we have a propensity to break fellowship over the silliest of things, and we let them divide us. We let them minimize the impact of your gospel in our lives and in our world. And so, Lord, we just come before you right now, and as we confess that, we want to ask for your help. Holy Spirit, would you convict us on the ways that we need to change, individually, but also as the community of believers. Help us to be willing to, to be vulnerable and to ask others for help to share where we are in war against sin or maybe where we're struggling to be at war against sin. And instead, Lord, help us to be willing to be vulnerable and open and transparent and invite others in so that we can grow together 
and defeat sin together and give you the glory together. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We pray for your help. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to be a people who who live out just what we read here, that we would be at peace with one another, that we'd forsake the love of self and seek unity with one another, that we'd be kind and patient and tolerant of one another, that we'd proactively seek to do one another good. Would you please help us, Lord, in this endeavor for your glory and for the good of those who have yet to repent and believe in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the second grouping here on this handout is the one another's about love. And again, as you look at the subtitle, it says, one third of these commands instruct Christians to love one another. And so um, it's significant that God is telling his people, if you want to be a compelling community, uh, you need to be able to love one another. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to ask Bobby to start us off on this one. Um, Bobby and Ellen are going to come up here and read the first one. other. Awesome. Thank you. And if you notice, this first one here is repeated more than once. There is a litany of references there. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to read love one another as many times as we see it here. You ready? Love one another. 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 Don't you hate how hard it is to understand God's word? Man, it's so confusing. No. God makes it very clear, very plain to us. Love one another is what we're called to do as the body of believers. Mark and Maria, can I have you guys come up and read the other three? That'd be all right? I'm sorry, other four. So you can each read two. (laughs) Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Be devoted to one another in love. Thank you. Now, we need to do a bit of a, of a, of a little correction right here for greet one another with a kiss of love. Just for this season of life in our church, we probably ought not to do that during the COVID-19 season. So how about the uh, silly waves of love or the, the bow of love or, you know, uh, Bobby taught us how to do good morning last week, right, Ellen? So a good morning of love. We can do those things together to love one another. But as you think through this list, right, what should our church be known for? Loving one another, right? That is very clear here. So what does that look like? Well, as you just heard Mark and Maria read, it looks like serving one another, being willing to get down on the floor and to put the towel around your waist and to wash your brother or sister's dirty, stinky feet, just like Christ did. Or it looks like hearing that a loved one died and being willing to call or on the 
on the, in the car on the way to their house to support them in their time of need. It looks like older adults coming alongside the younger ones to invest in them, to disciple them, to train them up. Or the younger ones coming alongside the older folks to use your time, talent, and treasures to bless them in whatever ways would serve them. We have folks in our church who have needs. Are you willing to meet them? It looks like listening well in your small group so that as people share what's going on in their life and in their family, you're, you're hearing what, what they're saying and you're thinking, how can I help meet that need? How can I come alongside of them, pray for them, bless them in some way? It looks like holding one another accountable to walking in God's will and ways, being willing to speak up when you hear or see sin in their life, loving them enough to do that. It looks like not demanding that your preferences are met, but instead laying down your preferences for the good of others. Love looks like a husband being a servant leader in his home, or a wife being a helper who completes her husband. Love looks like children obeying their parents with a happy heart the first time. It looks like parents leading their kids without getting sinfully angry at them. That is love. Last summer, we did a whole series on this concept in 1 Corinthians 13, seeking to answer the question, what is love? What is biblical love? And so you could go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and read through those verses if you want to get uh, some more details on that. You could go back and re-listen to that sermon series. But the one thing I wanted to remind us of as we studied that is we learned love is not a low-commitment thing. It's not a uh, low-commitment concept in the scriptures. It's a high commitment. It's a honorable and holy calling. And it's a big deal. Which is why a community of men and women, boys and girls who function this way, who love this way, would be so compelling, so attractive to our watching world. They don't know anything like that. It's so different. But the only way that this can happen The only way that we can have this kind of unity, that we can have this kind of love for one another, is through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, allowing him to transform your life. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to do a work in us. Would you bow your heads as I lead us in prayer? Lord, again, we just come before you uh, on your throne of mercy and grace to cry out to you about this matter of loving one another. And again, we want to begin our prayer time by just thanking you for your example of sacrificial servant leadership. It can't be any clearer. You have modeled it for us and written it in your words so that we could hear of it. And for those of us who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, we have experienced firsthand your love. Thank you for what you have done in our lives. Thank you for going before us and preparing the way for us, humbling yourself so that we could be forgiven and redeemed. And so again, Lord, we confess to you our struggle to love well, our struggle to love like you love. It is very easy for us to be selfish in our love, to do it in a way that would benefit us, to do it only when we feel like it. And Lord, we just confess that that is wicked, that is folly, that is not your ideal for us. And so would you right now, would your Holy Spirit convict us of the ways where we are not obeying you in the area of loving one another? 
God, make it clear to us, make it plain to us how we need to grow in serving one another, in caring for one another, and just being there to meet one another's needs, listening with the intent of helping and serving one another in our homes, in our community, in the workplace, wherever you would have us, Lord. Help us to be on mission in this area. And Jesus, uh, we just ask that you would be the one who enables us to change, that we wouldn't try to do this in our own strength, um, because we know that that won't last. And so we're praying that you would do a work of transformation in us, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and empower us to change, and that we would love others well like you have loved us well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The third section here is humility. And uh, again, this is the idea of putting others first, of being servant-hearted. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read those together. And so I'm going to just pick a row here. So I'm going to read the first one, and then I need six people uh, oh boy, Stevens and Bohol row. Can I have you guys come up here and line up to read these? So Kelsey, since you haven't read either, you can come up with them. You can be part of their family, honorary member of the Bohol and Stevens family today. So come on up here, get ready. They're all part of the same family, so they don't have to be six feet apart here, <laughs> except for Kelsey, I guess. But here's what the first one says about humility. Wash one another's feet. Wash one another's feet. We heard about that earlier. That was from Jesus himself. All right, guys, whenever you're ready. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't be hardy. Be of the same mind. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. Regard one as more important than yourselves. Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. Thank you. As you, again, think through what was just read over you, the calling to wash one another's feet, to give preference to one another in honor, to not be haughty but being of the same mind, of serving and of being subject to one another, of regarding one another as more important than yourselves, does it start to make sense why Christ's community, if done his way, would be so compelling? Right? Don't you want to be a part of a community like that? Where everyone else is looking out for your needs? And you're looking out for everyone else's needs? I know I want to be a part of a community like that. I've been searching for that my whole life. To be a part of God's people who are caring for one another in a sacrificial, servant-hearted way. That's what the church is meant to be. And it's amazing when this happens the way that God intends Right, because guess what? If everyone is seeking to serve one another, everyone's needs are met. Everyone is cared for well. But the only way that that's going to happen is as each one of us humbles ourselves under God's mighty hand. You can't have a humble community without humble individuals. And by the way, the only person you're responsible for humbling is yourself. Right? It's not your job to walk around and tell everyone else how they're proud and need to change. You address you and let the other person address them. And as each one of us is committed to pursuing God's plan for his church, then the church grows. So are you willing to put others first? To give preference to others instead of seeking your own preferences, demanding that they be met? Are you willing to lay down the attitude of, well, I'm right and they're wrong? Are you willing to just put that aside? Will you regard others as more important than yourself? That's what it takes to have a humble, compelling community. 
and I can't force you to grow in that, right? And you can't force me to grow in that. The Holy Spirit has to convict each one of us. He has to change us. And you have to want to please Jesus more than yourself in this area. That's the, that's the work of growing in holiness. And so uh, dying to self is not going to be easy. It's hard. It's messy. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. All right. One more time of prayer here. Let me pray with us. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, again, we just come before you and we are thankful that you are the humble one par excellence. You came down, took on human form, and went to the cross even though you were innocent. Even though you had not sinned, you became sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God and become the righteousness of God. Thank you. Thank you for your example of humility. Thank you for what your humility has accomplished. It has produced something incredibly valuable. And again, we confess, we admit that we are a proud people, that it is our inclination to think of self first. And we want to change from that, Lord. We're praying that you would convict us of that and that we would want to put that off, that we would want to pursue you, that we would want to put others first. And so you... We ask, Lord, that you would help us by convicting us and that we would do our part by responding to that conviction, by walking out the faith, by being obedient to what you call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the last section here is kind of a catch-all. There's a lot of different one-anothers here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these aloud for the sake of time. And so would you allow me to read these over you? Here's what it says. Don't judge one another, and don't put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Greet one another with a kiss. Husbands and wives, don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Teach and admonish one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Right, those are a tremendous reminder of the truth, of what God's compelling community ought to look like. And so may we be committed to pursuing that level of compelling community. And it's going to be hard. I mean, that work is not going to come naturally to us. We are going to have to die to ourselves if we're going to accomplish this. And uh, we have to invite God to do a mighty work in us. We could take a, you know, each one of these and do a whole sermon off of them, right? The, the things that they're teaching, the concepts, they're weighty, they're meaty. And I know reading over them quickly doesn't do them justice, but I hope that what you would, would do with this handout is you would keep this. And if you look on the back, uh, there's actually all of the things we talked about last week from the Sermon on the Mount, these got put on social media this week, so I just put them on here for you. I hope this handout would become something that you would just reflect on throughout the summer, that this would be in your Bible or on your mirror in your bathroom, and that you would take time to, to soak this in each day, to be thinking through, okay, God, how do I need to grow? How do I need to change in order to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be, and to help create the compelling community that you desire in the church. So would you do that? Would you allow this handout to be a resource for you uh, to drive you to growth this summer? Now, 
at this point in the service, we've addressed the definition of compelling community. We've talked about what it looks like. Now let's get to our last question. How is it created? And I just need to acknowledge this. God is the one who creates the compelling community. God is the one who creates it. This is not something that we just, you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and modify our behaviors and and boom, we've got compelling community. There are a lot of groups out there, a lot of moral people who are seeking to create communities like this, but they they don't involve God at all. Let Let me show you how God has created this compelling community. First, what he's done is he's sent his son into his creation. God sent his son into this creation. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, and I'm just going to read a little bit from chapter 1. Here's what John chapter 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus came down. God sent his Son. Jesus is the pre-existent, co-eternal, co-equal second person of the Trinity, and he humbled himself to enter into his creation in order to rescue and redeem his people, to save them from their sins. And as you just heard, he came full of grace and truth. He came to restore a divided, sinful people back to a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. It's from Christ's fullness that we've received grace upon grace. That leads me to the second way that God has created this compelling community. That's through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we need to be candid with one another. I hope we can be candid in the church house. Our first inclination is not to serve others. Our first inclination when we wake up in the morning is not, how can I love everyone else in my life today? At least it's not for me. Often, where, where I start my day is, what do I want to do today? What do I, I want my, my day to be like? We start with a, a bent inward, thinking about self. And typically, throughout most of our days, the common thought or refrain through our mind is not, how can I bless my wife or my husband? Or how can I serve this person in my small group? Or how, you know, this is not how we're wired. We are intrinsically selfish people. We are broken by our sin. And we need a rescuer. We need a redemption from that brokenness. And the only way that we're going to grow and change and become this compelling community is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has redeemed a selfish, sinful people like you and me through his son and his son's finished work at the cross. The only way for us to change 
is through faith in him. It's to respond to what he has done in your life. He is the one who can make you new and give you new desires. And so, if you've never trusted Christ, that's where we start. Listen to how Paul explains this regeneration, this changing, the making new process in Ephesians chapter 2. I promise this is the last section of of Scripture we're going to read today. I know we've been through a lot. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's a heavy sentence. The next two words are great. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has made a way for sinful rebels like you and me to be rescued and redeemed and brought back into right relationship with him. And he's made a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with one another. And we don't have time to go into Romans chapters 5 and 6 or Titus chapter 3, but the pages of Scripture are replete with examples that Jesus had to die so that you and I could live to righteousness. His death, his burial, his resurrection was necessary. So may we not forget that. May we worship him. May we respond to him in obedience and walking by faith. He is the one who enables us to live this way. And then finally, the Father created this compelling community by sending his Holy Spirit. I'm not going to read it, but in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to his disciples, I will send the Helper to bring to your remembrance all that I've commanded, commanded you. See, God the Holy Spirit is sent to believers to remind them of the truths of God's word, to convict them on the ways that they need to apply it and change. He's the one who empowers you to obey and to become the person that we've learned about today in order for the people of God to be the compelling community that we've learned about today. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts for the edification of the body so that it can be built up into one whole, like we read about in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. We need God. We cannot have this compelling community apart from God's work in our lives. So I hope our response would be, thank you. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Thank you for the calling that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to be ready to do our part. And that's, our, that's where we're closing today is on that call. Are you willing to do your part? Are you willing to respond to the work of your creator who has made you to be a part of compelling community? Will you live as the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Whether it's with your family, whether it's at your small group, whether it's here as a gathering on Sunday morning, will you do your part? 
to be a person who's seeking unity, who's living in love, who's humble, and putting others first. Let's again close with a word of prayer, asking God to help us do these things. Jesus, again, we we come before your throne and we just cry out and we're, we're thankful for your word. I know we've been over a lot of scripture today. And, and Lord, I pray that you would allow the word to convict us. Help us to see the ways that we need to grow and the ways that we need to change. And, and may we not hear this today and, and read the scriptures today and think, I've got to do all of this in my own strength because that's not what you say. You are the one who has made a way. We are to follow after you. We are to labor in the strength that you provide and in the power that you provide through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, that you would bring us to the end of ourselves, that we would realize, I can't do this. I can't be this kind of person in my own strength. And so we would look to you and we'd cry out to you, Lord, help. And maybe that's someone crying out for the very first time. They've never acknowledged that they need your help. I pray that that would be a cry of faith, a cry of repentance from sin. But there may be many of us who have been walking with you for some time who need to cry out, Lord, help. We need to continue to grow and change. May we not grow complacent. May we not think that the work of, of holiness is someone else's job, but it's, it's my job to grow. It's my job to obey. So we just pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in us and do it for your glory, that we might be a bold witness to this watching world, that in a, in a season of COVID-19 and the aftermath of, of George Floyd's murder, that, that the church would rise up and be a bold testimony and witness to our watching, hurting world. We ask for your help in this. We can't do it apart from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.